We're back with Doctors Who Create. My name is Darlena Liu. My name is Michael Anila Canton. And this is our match special episode. Woohoo! Congrats to all of the med students out there who matched this year. And we just wanted to kind of to do something a little bit different with this episode because, you know, we were talking about reimagining healthcare and all these other things, but we also need to reimagine our podcast too, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Especially at this really exciting juncture, we thought it'd be a really great time to introduce a different format um, for our celebratory match day episode. <laughs> yes. I've been listening to so many podcasts recently in my free time, and I have really enjoyed some of the true crime ones. And what I realized that they do is they they have two people and they just chat about a topic. And there's something so conversational about it that I I love. And I'm hoping that we can, you know, be inspired by and capture in this one. Yeah, I agree with you. The first of all, it's been amazing to have just have that free time to listen to podcasts post match. Um, but yeah, I definitely agree. It's nice to listen to those podcasts where you can really see people bouncing ideas off of each other and kind of learning things from each other. So I'm hoping that this more conversational episode really brings out um, our different perspectives and ideas and um, that we really have a, a great, um, meaningful conversation about about match. Yeah, especially as two fourth-year med students who just went through the process and both matched and are preparing for the next step, which is residency. Yeah, it's it's nerve-wracking, but also, I mean, this is what our four years have been leading up to, and it honestly feels really crazy that we are done with the match. I don't know if you if you feel the same way that I I like. It's weird. I don't even understand how it already happened, but <laughs> it does feel surreal. And I think another part of it that makes it feel so surreal is just how different from what it was that it's very different from what I imagined match day to be back when I was a pre-med many years ago and imagining like opening up an envelope in front of a whole crowd of people that wasn't able to happen this year. And there were a lot of creative things that applicants and programs had to do to adjust for the pandemic. Oh yeah. If if anything, this you know these this past year, these past couple months leading up to match has really I think showed us the creativity and kind of reimagination, reimagination um, of things that a lot of programs have done to make match still feel special. Um, not going to lie though, I mean, I, I leading up to match, I would watch those you know YouTube videos of different <laughs> of different schools match days from previous years and how exciting it was and how emotional it was when everyone was opening up their envelopes. So um, it was interesting to see how how we all went through that process this year. Um, in particular. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think the word unprecedented has probably been used <laughs> more times this year um, than in any other year um, about match day. So yeah, I mean, it was a, it still ended up being, I think, a really beautiful experience. What do you think? Oh, yes. And I guess we can get into that. Should we start maybe at the beginning of the whole application process and ERAS and how things have changed? And then the big lead up to match day, take them through the experience that we went on the roller coaster ride. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So, I mean, I guess I'll start 
I'll guess I'll start a little bit before ERA. So even with, you know, away rotations and things like that, our class saw, you know, kind of significant differences in um, what we were able to do given the pandemic. Um, and so I know just going into ERAS, um, you know, peers and I were a little bit um, perturbed or kind of nervous that even we weren't able to do aways. How is this going to impact, um, you know, our application um, and things like that. Um, but at the same time, um, and, and let me know kind of how you feel too. It was nice to realize that every other student across the country was kind of going through the same thing with, with the whole away rotation experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it did feel like we were in in some ways in the same boat. I guess it, it varies from school to school. I was really lucky that my institution had all of the specialties available. The students in my class were able to get those experiences, but I know that might not be the case across all medical schools. Yeah. So it does highlight some of the inequities in that process. The whole away experience highlighted kind of the stark differences between, you know, many different programs in the country, inequities based on um, kind of, you know, what school you go to and what opportunities you have. Um, and, and kind of started off the, the application cycle, I think, a little bit <laughs> on a like nerve wracking note. Um, ERAS itself, I think um, it was interesting for us too, because the timeline was shortened. So, so I think that too was a little bit, <laughs> a little bit scary. Oh my gosh, okay, we've submitted, you know, on, um, you know, whatever it was, like end of uh, September, like October time, and then all of a sudden, you know, people are starting to hear back about interviews and things like that already, and it was just, it was just a very <laughs> stressful process. I I can relate. Although I was appreciative of that extra time that we had to get letters of recommendation because I know at the start of the pandemic, a bunch of my in-person electives got shuffled around and schools had to be really creative about creating virtual electives and they weren't quite the same as in-person rotation. So being able to have the opportunity to do the in-person rotations in, in my specialty of interest and get those letters of recommendation before the ERAS deadline, I, it really made a difference for me. That is true. I think I think that once again, like I feel like, of course, there's you know so many things to be improved on in this cycle, but but given the fact that this whole thing was unprecedented and no one really knew what to do and really didn't know anything going into this cycle, that things were maneuvered pretty well for for students in terms of how to accommodate things like letters of rec and and stuff like that. Um, I'm trying to think of, of kind of other major um, <laughs> major milestones or major points throughout um, that the like ERAS kind of application cycle. Um, did you have any other um, any other like comments about the cycle that that you recall? Yeah, I guess once the ERAS was submitted, then that's when the interview invites started trickling in and. At that point, at what point did we know that everything was going to be virtual? I feel like the announcement was fairly early on. Yeah, I'm trying to think back. I think that it was it was kind of as we were submitting applications um, that each specialty started to roll out those kind of specialty specific recommendations, um, and pretty much across the board, I think um, everyone was you know saying, "Hey, it's going to be all virtual." Um, and so I think by the time interview invites rolled around, we pretty much knew um, what the setup was going to be like. And for a lot of these programs, they were creating these schedules afresh because they'd been used to giving you know an, an in-person tour and now had to coordinate a video tour or other things to highlight their hospital campus and the people and the program. 
So I was really impressed by just how quickly they were able to get all of that together. And even, um, you know, the amount of programs that, you know, revamped their websites or made sure that um, kind of everything resource-wise was accessible to prospective applicants who wanted to look at what was going on at their school through their website. Um, I think a lot of programs did a really great job of, of really um, kind of accommodating and changing on the fly. Mm -hmm. And I'm remembering something else. There were a bunch of programs that would have these virtual open houses prior to the application deadline or even entire program fairs. I attended a couple of psychiatry residency program fairs and a psychotherapy fair, and I thought it was a nice way to get acquainted with a lot of programs in a short amount of time, and that really helped me put my list together. Yeah, that's true. I totally forgot. Um, so actually, for, for PEDS, um, my, um, my now colleague um, and I, um, uh, his name is Nick Heitkamp, we, through our organization called Future PEDS Res, helped put together um, several webinars um, for uh, PEDS programs to be able to um, get involved in, to really showcase their programs, um, kind of be a space for programs and applicants to, to be able to interact with each other and for applicants to really try to understand, you know, which programs would they want to see themselves in and which ones would they want to apply to. Um, so yeah, I think I totally forgot about that, that the, the open house kind of virtual webinar um, era um, was a really big um, and kind of pivotal way for applicants to, to figure out where they wanted to go. That's such a great initiative. How did you come up with the idea? We originally wanted to do uh, just like one um, one webinar, um, just kind of with certain um, uh, program directors who were um, active on Med Twitter and who were excited to, to, to join us in doing something like this. Um, but somehow it got to be uh, to the Association of Peds Program Directors, <laughs> um, or one of uh, one of our one of our mentors brought it to the Association of Peds Program Directors, and um, the association was really excited about the prospect of doing these types of webinars. And so, um, <laughs> but you know, we we blinked, and it ended up being nine national webinars that we we put together for um, kind of over a hundred close to like 160, if I, if I remember correctly, um, pro, uh, different PEDS programs across the country. Um, and we also did ones um, specifically towards um, international medical graduates and our DO colleagues so that everyone could really uh, get a good idea and understanding of, of how the application cycle would be for them. Um, so yeah, it's a really great experience. That sounds like a fantastic resource. Do you think it's something that it's a creative change that will last for cycles to come? Because I could totally see this being a benefit to students even after the pandemic is over. Yeah, so I, I think so. I think we've been in talks about um, doing uh, a second uh, second version of this for the coming year, um, just because like you said, I mean, I, I, I don't think the virtual aspect of match or of the application cycle is going to go away anytime soon, which we can get into a little bit later too. Um, but yeah, I think I think things like this are a really good way to utilize technology in a great way. Um, and really bring together programs and applicants because everyone has questions, you know, um, and, and it's a good space to get those questions answered. For sure. I, I actually did not totally mind doing virtual interviews. It certainly saved a lot of money, and I feel like I was able, surprisingly, to get a good sense of the different cultures at programs by attending the virtual interview day, but also by talking with residents offline, just trying to reach out to people one-on-one -on -one and, and do phone calls. I found that to be a really, really helpful tool during this season. 
Yes, I loved it, especially when programs would kind of um, pair you up with a resident buddy or, or just give you the resources to reach out to residents to be able to do that kind of offline one-on-one um, -on -one chatting with them. I thought that was super useful. And I agree with you too, um, especially as a couples match applicant, I thought virtual interviews um, actually worked out really well because there wasn't, you know, as much headache about coordinating flights and making sure that, you know, my um, partner and I were able to, you know, go to programs um, that would mesh well together, things like that. And, and with everything being virtual, we were, we were able to um, really kind of um, see all of the different possibilities um, within the couples match. Yeah. I think when it came down to formulating a rank list, that's when I could see the, I felt like I was missing out on the benefits of actually having been to a place in person. So I think in the future, potentially a good hybrid model would be to do virtual interviews and potentially an in-person second look. That way you could narrow the places that you'd actually have to spend money to, to visit. Yeah, I, I agree. I think something that I would have loved with um, the schools that, are, that ended up being on my rank list would have been to just actually go and see with my own eyes. Um, and a hybrid model makes a lot of sense. I'm, I'm curious though, like, how, um, you know, how would you distinguish, um, you know, if a student were to come for an in-person second look, let's say with the hybrid model versus a student who, you know, potentially can't or is unable to for, you know, a host of different reasons. Um, I think in those cases, it's, it'll be really important to make sure that there's some sort of anonymity with the in-person second look or that, that that doesn't play into, you know, the program's rank list, things like that. Because um, because I, I think it's really important to have that opportunity in the future. Um, I also want to make sure, you know, that that doesn't come into play um, for final decisions when it shouldn't. That's a great point. I think that was part of some of the pressure of attending these open houses. Yeah. Felt like, oh, you know, do people have to ask a question to demonstrate interest? And that puts a lot of undue pressure when it should be more of an informational setting. And I think, um, you know, yeah, with this being the first time um, of anyone doing these types of virtual open houses, you're exactly right. I mean, I, I know even, you know, even me and so many of my peers were thinking the same thing of, oh my gosh, like, I do I, you know, do I really need to attend? You know, I've had a long day, you know, et cetera, et cetera. The Zoom fatigue is hitting. Yeah, <laughs> the Zoom fatigue. But I still want to make sure I'm, you know, you know, getting my name out there and showing my enthusiasm. Um, but how much does that really matter? Like <laughs> so many, so many different questions. Um, but but I did like programs that, um, or, or webinars and open houses that made sure that, you know, clearly, um, clearly denoted, you know, you know, come if you want to, this isn't going to impact anything, things like that. I wonder, I, right now, the way the rank uh, list process is set up, I believe that applicants and programs have to submit their lists by the same deadline, but I almost wonder if programs submitted theirs first and then applicants submitted after, if that would give a period of time where people felt like more relaxed in terms of attending these second looks for themselves rather than for, for demonstrating interest. Yeah, that's a really good idea, because by that time it's like, well, they, they've already decided, so let me just go and see if, you know, I myself, you know, feel like I would fit in here and um, without, without having that added pressure, yeah. And I guess it would only have to be a week or two, I don't know, in terms of the logistics, if that's something that's even feasible, but that way people wouldn't be attending, like, you know, 
five, six, seven second looks, but maybe like one or two of, of the programs that they're most thinking about or deciding between. I'm curious too with, with that format or that thought process, how um, something like tokens uh, or, or something like that could come into play. I know, I think it was ENT that used like the signal or, or tokens um, format this year. And I wonder if that's something that could be utilized um, for, um, for like second looks um, in particular or something like that in the future. I wonder, I haven't looked at the, the data yet on how the token system impacted the match in ENT specifically. Um, I know OBGYN also had some changes to their match process this year where they had a designated day where all the programs would release their interview invites, which sounds like, in my opinion, a great idea because I think when interview invites come in, they they trickle in over a period of time, it's hard to know whether to hold on to some interview in the beginning or, or not. Whereas if I if I knew all my invitations at once, I'd have a better idea of picking which ones to go to and, and improving that overall interview allocation across applicants. Yes, I think the coordinated release idea would be a great one. Um, and I think um, I, I noticed that too when I think of like dermatology and orthopedic surgery, um, and my, so my, my partner is going into dermatology and, and he was telling me too that um, program directors across the country actually um, all collaborated on a Google Doc um, that was available to applicants throughout the season so that they could see kind of firsthand when are the virtual open houses and, and that programs could coordinate within each other to make sure that things weren't overlapping um, um, and, and released, you know, when their interview dates would be too, so that applicants could kind of start planning. So I thought that was a really good idea too. The Google Docs, were they created by the programs or the applicants? Yeah, yeah. So I know Reddit always has their, you know, their yearly, <laughs> their yearly Google Docs that cause that caused stress a lot of stress for everybody because you can't <laughs> you can't look away um but i I'm, i think this one in particular with dermatology was um was created um in collaboration with different program directors so that um it could be used as a resource for applicants but yeah i mean post interview should we talk about how our match day experiences were so after the interviews are done there's just this waiting period it feels like it felt like the longest month really <laughs> And it's funny because that was shortened, you know, that timeline was shortened for us. So in previous years, it was like two months for them. So whenever I would be <laughs> complaining, um, you know, to, to my to residents at my program and stuff, they'd be like, hey, we had to wait <laughs> twice as long as you. Um, but that was that was the longest month of our lives. <laughs> um, and then actual match day. So did your school have an in-person or virtual match day? So we had... Um, kind of um, a couple of different options. So what my school did, it's a smaller school, so um, we had like a little uh, match day parade leading up to match day. So we all drove in our cars and picked up these cute little personalized um, like celebration boxes um, that we could then use for, you know, if we were celebrating on our own um, or at, at a different location or at school. Um, and if we, um, you know, wanted to, we could go to school and get a, a little envelope and open um, and open our um, results up, um, kind of in like a little gathering. So there are a couple of different options that people um, that people use. I think it ended up being like twenty or some uh, students who who gathered um, on the school grounds to open it together. What about you? For us, we had an option of receiving either champagne or cookies in the mail. Oh my gosh. 
yeah, it was a nice, there was our celebration box. And then we didn't have an in-person match day. It was a Zoom, actually, that they held. And it was basically like 50 different breakout rooms on Zoom. So the idea was people would log on a little bit before before noon when the results were announced. And there were a couple speeches from our, our dean and things like that. And then students could go in between the 50 different breakout rooms to congratulate each other, talk to friends and family. Um, this, is, this is the event that happened. I actually <laughs> forgot to join, not forgot to join. I, after I got my match results, the first thing I did was to call up my friends and family and- Of course. Uh, spoke with my grandparents on the phone and then we had a great chat and then by the time I hung up the phone I was like oops I, I missed our zoom match day <laughs> so I couldn't tell you how the actual experience went but I can tell you my experience <laughs> <laughs> how about you yeah I, I mean I was I was at school um, so so I, I got my envelope and I have no idea how I held on to that thing without opening it until <laughs> until twelve o'clock, um, but but I did, and then I think after that it was it was kind of like a whirlwind of emotions and like a roller coaster of you know, <laughs> a couple of hours. Um, I ended up opening it with with my um, with my partner and um, just like by ourselves, kind of like away in a room, um, and so I, I didn't end up <laughs> even being part of a. <laughs> the celebrations we were too like wrapped up in um in the results and things like that but uh, so kind of similar to you that you know then i called my parents and called my grandparents and like <laughs> we just facetiming with everyone and and by the time i came back out to the um to the to the grass area everyone was already done so <laughs> i personally really enjoyed having that private space to process and celebrate because it seems more nerve-wracking to have to get this really big news in front of all of your classmates in front of an auditorium of people a hundred percent i think you know no matter like what the result ended up being i think just having that little bit of time to celebrate and and process in your own way before going back you know to your you know kind of zoom class or, or to, to whatever the school's putting on um, was a really important, um, important thing to have. So maybe we'll see this trend yeah. in, in future match days. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> I, all I can say is I really enjoyed how I, how I celebrated my match day and I wouldn't have wanted it any other way now in retrospect. I love that. Yeah, I think, I think same here. Um, I think having some sort of hybrid um, in the future of, of having that personal time and then being able to go back um, and celebrate with each other would be a really great, a great option. But I guess we'll just wait and see. Mm -hmm. And now we're in that other long waiting yeah. between <laughs> the end of medical school and the start of residency where I'm sure you've gotten all the paperwork and all, oh, all that the paperwork there's so much yeah so much paperwork <laughs> but it's so exciting and then you know kind of the other other piece of it obviously is you know finding a new place which we were talking about um and and just getting excited about you know our, our future and our, our in our new cities so yeah, it's a, it's a weird time. <laughs> yeah, it definitely is. And um, I'm excited to be starting my psychiatry residency at Cambridge Health Alliance and moving to Massachusetts. 
That's so exciting. And then I, um, I'll be starting my PhD residency at the University of Michigan. Um, and so not leaving the state, but, um, but still moving, um, moving closer to Ann Arbor um, so that my partner and I can kind of start our, our residencies. <laughs> and you mentioned with couples matching, do you feel like there were certain uh, things that you had to do, do differently or, or words of advice about that specifically in in this unprecedented year of of match i so i um you know personality wise i really love kind of having control over everything um and and knowing um what's going to happen in my life and i think um couples match that all goes out the window <laughs> so i think the biggest advice i'd give to someone couples matching is is really just do your best do what's best for you and your partner in terms of all the different places that you're applying to. Apply broadly, um, but at the end of the day, just know that no matter how much kind of you want to control, you know, be in control of things, or no matter how much you you know that you want to go to a certain place, even um, the universe will will figure out <laughs> will figure out what's best for you, you and your um, partner. Um, I, I think that. Um, just going into something like like couples match um, with just like with the idea and with the mentality that you know whatever happens everything's going to be okay because it's a little tricky when you're you know you're tying your future to someone else and that's you know extra variables and things like that can get really stressful um, so I think just kind of always having that mentality of you know whatever happens it'll be okay we'll figure it out I think that ended up. Um, you know, being the best, um, the best way to go through this whole process. That sounds like great advice. Um, I guess taking another step back, just thinking about like why we have Match in the first place and the history of Match. I learned so much about that this year by reading Dr. Brian Carmody's blog, The Sheriff of Sodium. Have you seen it? Mm-hmm. Yes. He first of all, he's incredible. I mean, I. I am so thankful for the the work and research that Dr. Carmody does for all of us. Um, yeah, espe- yeah, especially his his blog posts on the history of, of Match um, and kind of why things the why things are the way that they are, why things uh, shouldn't be <laughs> the way that they are sometimes um, have been really enlightening. And I've always wondered why it was called the Sheriff of Sodium. <laughs> and recently I came across a tweet that said that he was salty about medical education. And I just thought that was brilliant. <laughs> yeah, he is. He is. He's a pioneer. And I think we're really lucky to have um, kind of a, him championing um, us and, and future med students. So, yeah, Dr. Carmody's blog has been um, has been really great throughout this process. And it's made a lot of us think. Mm hmm. And I think understanding part of the history makes it, it helps contextualize the experience because yes, it's kind of rare to see an, an industry that matches its graduates to jobs through a, an official match algorithm like we have. Because <laughs> it's so hard to explain. <laughs> yeah. It's a big change. It's like this years of your life determined behind this black box. Every time you try to explain it to someone outside of medicine, I mean, their eyes just like grow wider and wider. Like they're like, wait, I, I don't understand. Like, so it's, you can't just have like a normal job application process or, um, you know, trying to explain it to my parents <laughs> every week. And they're like, wait, can you explain it to me again? I don't understand. Um, you're right. Yeah. I think, I think having the history um, and understanding the history helped contextualize this 
harrowing process <laughs> a little bit. And on the flip side, there are advantages, right, to yeah. having such a streamlined process because I see my sister, she is a recent college grad and she's been applying for jobs the quote unquote regular way. And it's there are a lot more uncertainties going through that process, whereas with this, there are certain deadlines, you know, by a certain day, and it, it takes some of those variables. Well, I guess they're still variables, but they're just different types of variables. That I agree with. I think we, we have been um, lucky to, you know, these past four years, kind of, yeah, in our postgraduate um, education, have this really delineated path, um, you know, laid out for us. Um, granted, yeah, there's tons of variables and, and tons of inequities in this whole process, but um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Dr. Carmody really has some some really great things and really interesting things to say. Oh yes, definitely check out his blog. I I would not say that I'm an expert on the match by any means. I'm just someone who's gone through the process, but he's really someone who I would say is an expert on on the match and has so much data and evidence to back up what he's saying. What other resources did you find helpful going through this process? We, we mentioned the Google spreadsheets, which, you know, very hit or miss. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, definitely hit or miss. Um, I think the beauty of uh, just like, you know, so many parts of this unprecedented process was just how quickly um, people created um, things out of nothing, you know, um, and how people turn to social media to, to develop really great initiatives and just great kind of crowdsourcing um, resources for applicants all over the country, all over the world. Um, so it was really beautiful to start to see t these types of things come up. Um, the Inside the Match organization um, popped up this year and ended up being a really great way to connect people um, to, uh, you know, now, now I notice that they're, um, at any time they find resources for those going through the scramble or, or opportunities that they're posting about those, which I think is really great. Um, throughout the application cycle, Inside the Match uh, had podcasts and posts about really great tips um, and, and uh, guidance from different uh, residents and different specialties. Um, and then um, just med Twitter itself. I think there are tons of different um, accounts that popped up um, for different specialties to really help applicants through the process. So I really, I just really enjoyed seeing all of these people and all of these ideas coming together. Mm -hmm, totally. I had some friends who even created a Twitter account specifically this year for applications, which uh, it almost seems like Twitter has become the new LinkedIn in some ways. If you had told me four years ago that creating a Twitter would be a part of the application process for residency, I would not have believed you. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Did not think that social media could be harnessed in this way. I think it's so cool, but I think that like anything, there are good and bad parts of it. Um, and you're right, <laughs> a little bit of that dystopian feel of like, wait, at the end of this, I, you know, do I need to make a Twitter? <laughs> but um, at the at the same time, it is really beautiful to see how open and how welcoming and helpful um, uh, docs and program directors and residents and, and just physicians are on these platforms. Um, and it's it's been nice to see how helpful it's been for um, different types of students who may otherwise, you know, not have um, access to some of these opportunities. Um, but on the flip side, um, 
you know, it, it's tricky because there, there are, of course, tons of people who may not be comfortable with social media, who may not like it for any, any host of reasons. So there's still a lot of work to be done. When we talk about Med Twitter, another big grassroots uh, effort that came to be this season was MedGrad Wishlist. Yes. Yeah, I think that was a really, really cool endeavor that popped up. For, for days, my Twitter feed was full of different Amazon wish lists, and I, I have a couple friends who did post theirs and got lots of love and support from other people in the med Twitter community. Yeah, I think yeah, at, at least in the in the hundreds, I would I would imagine that the med grad wishlist movement was able to um, to help people across across the country, and it was a really nice kind of lead up to Match Day um, to see you know you know, tons of different um, students um, be able to get these really great um, celebratory gifts. It was, an, it was attending or maybe maybe a couple of attendings who really wanted to um, to do something nice for match day. And I know um, it was really um, bolstered and, and the, the movement got, you know, a lot of, of traction and excitement through the, the work of Farah Amoy, who's a incoming Peace resident, just like me. <laughs> oh, yeah. And there were other med students who also helped amplify these tweets and ended up there were there were a lot of donations that were made through this program and I think there it's still as far as I understand it's still up and running I think so yeah I think actually the last time I checked there's a um, a new Twitter account specifically for med grad <laughs> wish list now um, and they're also collaborating with other organizations for giveaways and and things like that um and uh, yeah i don't i don't see med grad wish list going away anytime soon i think it'll it'll only continue to get bigger and better it's like starting this whole new tradition uh, about how people in the medical community can help and support especially those who are underrepresented in medicine it's been really amazing to kind of see how many different new initiatives have popped up in this past year alone and i think it makes makes us all really excited to see what's what's coming for the future and how all of these different initiatives can be improved upon um, and continue to be refined um, for the years and years to come. Yeah. So what do you think the future of Match is going to look like? Are we still going to have a match? (laughs) (laughs) Who even knows at this point? Maybe Dr. Carmody will come up with with (laughs) an even better way um, of doing this whole process. Um, But even Match... The algorithm, they, it was, I was reading his blog post, it was created by medical students who originally solved this issue of how do you match people to programs most efficiently. And then years later, it won the Nobel Prize in mathematics. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that I had no idea about the Nobel Prize part until I, until I read his blog post. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's, I had no idea. But um, I don't know, who knows? I mean, every, you know, there's, everyone's getting smarter and, <laughs> and, and kind of thinking in different ways. That would, that would be, um, that would be quite amazing if the match process itself completely changed. And I don't think it's, it's out of the question at all, especially because I feel like we're getting to this culture, um, and, and kind of just more mainstream thought process of questioning things and, and questioning why things the way that, why, why things are the way they are and, and wanting to, refine things even more and more. So I don't know. I wonder if, if it'll change. I don't foresee it changing drastically in any time in the near future, because I think one thing that the pandemic and this year has demonstrated is that the algorithm match still appears to be fairly stable. It seems like 
Um, if we're looking at the number of, of programs that went unfilled or people who went unmatched, the, the numbers are slightly down in terms of applicants, but not as bad as people had predicted at the beginning of the cycle. Yeah, it, it, it wasn't altered too, too much, I think. Um, I, I do think, though, that there are a lot of things that could and should be changed, especially in terms of um, kind of the way that the SOAP process works and, and just the way that um, international medical graduates um, especially are, um, I guess, treated through this process. I think, I think with the advent of med Twitter even more, it's, it's been really easy to see and kind of hear their struggles and, and how they went through this process and how different it was um you know for for IMGs versus for us and I, I don't know if that I don't think that should be the case mm-hmm. absolutely and I think also in terms of creating new pathways for applicants who don't match in the in during the match cycle I think there need to be new solutions and med school is such a big time and financial investment that to have you know we're not talking about we're talking about hundreds, if not thousands. I need to double check my numbers on these things. I should have looked this up prior to recording this episode. But it's in, impacting a lot of students who have dedicated at least four years of their post-college life and you know, dedicated themselves to taking these eight-hour-long exams and working in the hospital and learning. And it's such a shame for... Um, and not to mention all the the debt and loans and, and the costs of attending medical school that is really a shame when the system is set up such that there are a lot of people who unfortunately at the end of the cycle don't have the opportunity to start residency and need to find other options you know clearly there's so many great minds that that should you know should have matched um, and so I'm hoping that as the process continues to improve, that all of this is really taken into consideration. Mm-hmm. And hopefully the creation of more residency positions, which have been fairly stagnant over time, I think it, it, I hear so much about physician shortages, yet the the bottleneck still seems to be there. Exactly. Yeah. And I guess the other... Lots to come. Lots to come. And the other elements of the future of Match, I think we talked a little bit about about virtual interviews, it sounds like they're here to stay at least for another cycle. Yeah, I, I think so. And I, I think that, honestly, I, I can't imagine that they would go away even in maybe, just, at least in the short term, maybe even in the long term, because it seems like it's more convenient for, for all parties. Um, but but understanding how to best start incorporating or reincorporating in-person aspects, I think would be the way to go. Um, but keeping that interview process the actual interview virtual um, makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. And then as programs get more experience with this new format, I think we'll see more creative ways that that manifests. I still remember some of my programs hosting like a, a game night or a s'mores night and things like that. I thought were such a nice way to get to know people in a more casual setting, which is what we sometimes lack in, in the regular Zoom environment. Yeah, I definitely miss that. I would love for, for pieces of, of those parts of the interview process to be in person somehow, because at the end of the day, I mean, this is such a personal process and such an emotional process that 
you know, four years of, of hard work have been leading up to. So wanted to say again how um, lucky I am to be part of such an amazing group of fourth years across the whole country, um, group of, um, you know, applicants in the season. Um, and congrats to, to everybody for, for making it through this whole, <laughs> this whole year. Yes, we should give ourselves a pat on the back. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and this was our first time experimenting with a, a more freeform type of episode format. If you love it, if you hate it, we would like to hear your feedback so we know how to better structure our future episodes. Traditionally, we've done a lot of interview format episodes where we will reach out to a physician who's doing really creative things and, and share that conversation with you all. But if you have other ideas, please send them to dwcfilesubmission at gmail.com. Yeah, and I, I did want to say, just speaking about this uh, whole virtual, you know, virtual year, Darlena and I have actually have never seen each other in person. Yes, that's true, so true. <laughs> it was just funny to, to think about, uh, yet, you know, here we are having, you know, these really great conversations and I don't know what number, um, you know, what, you know, what number podcast this is that we've done together, but it's been such an incredible experience, and I'm really looking forward to our continued conversations in residency and and what we bring um, to DWC um, with our, our, you know, various experiences that we have in, in Massachusetts and in Michigan. So really excited for the future of DWC. Same. So please subscribe and keep listening because we are going to have more content for you all. Yeah, the, the future of Doctors Who Create is extremely bright. Um, and yeah, we thank you so much for listening and definitely subscribe and, and let us know what you think. Okay, well, until next month then. Bye. If you like what you're hearing, don't forget to subscribe, tell a friend, leave a review. We would love to hear from you. And if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can email us at doctorswhocreate at gmail.com. Or tweet us at doctorscreate. Or check out our website, doctorswhocreate.com, to listen to our podcast episodes and also to check out other articles and profiles of physicians who are creative. Intro music brought to you by the band Night Float.